Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer. So if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. And tonight we are going to be talking about the terrible horrendous case of um, Sylvia Likens. I've seen this case on my Facebook feed. I've seen Facebook, um, not, I guess like Facebook, almost like Facebook YouTubers, I guess you can say, like cover this case a little bit. And it's horrendous. And I'm going to say it now, this whole case is a trigger warning, so if you don't want to listen to this, that's okay. You can skip because this is a bad case. This case, um, it discusses child abuse, torture, and sexual abuse, and murder in some graphic detail like very graphic like I said if you guys aren't comfortable with listening to this that's okay because this is going to be a hard case so with that being said let's hop to it all right Cynthia Marie Likens was born on January 3rd in 1949 and she was the third child of Lester and Elizabeth Likens. She had four siblings, an older set of twins named Diana and Daniel, and a younger set of twins named Benny, Jenny and Benny. Now normally I don't mention siblings unless they had something to do with the case. Um or unless they're like involved, you know, stuff like that. But Jenny is in the case because she lived in the house, same house Sylvia did when this all happened. And her older sister is brought into it like briefly. And that is why I am bringing them into this. Okay. Sylvia was sweet 16 in 1965. She loved roller skating and the Beatles. Sylvia had long, wavy brown hair and a bright smile despite a missing front tooth due to an accident with her brother. Her family family even gave her a nickname called Cookie. Sylvia cared for her little sister Jenny, who had a limp leg due to polio she enjoyed spending her babysitting money 
on trips to the skating rink with Jenny. Sylvia fastened one skate to Jenny's sturdy foot and held her hand so she could skate with the other kids. Can we just talk about talk take a minute and talk about how great Sylvia was as a big sister to Jenny? That's awesome. On June 3rd in 1965, Sylvia's mother was arrested for shoplifting. Lester sold concessions at carnivals and he usually took the boys with him, but he could not take his daughters. So someone, someone told Lester about this family and they were the Ban Suizaniski. I definitely said that wrong family. I read an article that like Sylvia and these girls were friends, but I was like, there's no way. So I didn't even put that in. So after this person said, hey, check that family out, Lester decided to send Sylvia and Jenny to go live with Gertrude. He agreed to pay $20 each week for their board and care. Gertrude promised to care for the girls as if they were her own. Real quick, let's talk about the um, family. We're going to call them B family. Gertrude was born on September 19th in 1928. She married John Stephen B., at 16 years old, the couple had four children together, but John became physically violent toward Gertrude and she divorced him in 10 years. Just a couple weeks later, though, she married Edward Guthrie and he turned out to be abusive and they divorced within months. Gertrude remarried her first husband again, and they decided to have two more children together. And this is what I put. Like, what the fuck? Why would you remarry him if he was abusive and then go on to have two more kids with him? I didn't get that. But it didn't last long because they ended up divorcing for a second time. Next, Gertrude met a 22-year-old man named Dennis Lee Wright. And the unwed couple had one son together, and they named him Dennis Jr. Now, it says at a time, instead of going by her married name, the B, she sometimes went by Miss Wright, even though they weren't married. And they welcomed Dennis Jr. in 1965. But Dennis abandoned Gertrude and the baby. She had filed a paternity suit against him, though she never saw a penny. By 1965, Gertrude was a haggard, chain-smoking single mom of seven, li seven living in squatter, squatter at 3850 East New York Street in Indianapolis, Indiana for $55 a month. Damn, that's cheap. I mean, well, maybe for them, it was probably a lot of money. But <laughs> when I did this case, I was like, wow, 
That's cheap. Oh, if you hear a knocking, I'm sorry. I don't know. I think it's my upstairs loud neighbors. Initially, the family treated Sylvia and Jenny kindly as promised. The Lycans and the B-Girls spent time together singing popular songs and gossiping about boys. The B family home was the kind neighborhood children would come and go as where they came and go as they pleased. They could get away with things that their parents wouldn't allow, such as smoking, drinking, and even raunchy sex talk before Gertrude's eyes. Gertrude's 13th pregnancy had just ended in her sixth miscarriage. She was tired and looked twice her 31 years. So she looked twice as old. To add to her full plate 17 year, to add to her full plate 17 year old was pregnant by a married man. I'm assuming it was one of her daughters. Um and if I believe in later the end I say it's Paula so I believe it was Paula who was pregnant to a married man by a married man I'm sorry. Um, Sylvia and Jenny shared a bedroom with 11-year-old Marie, 10-year-old Shirley, and 8-year-old Jimmy B. This bedroom had a mattress on the floor that all five of the children would take turns sleeping on. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? What? Regretfully, Lester Likens never actually stepped foot into the home of the woman they had hired to care for their daughters. If they went into into the house, they would notice there weren't enough beds. The house had a hot plate where the stove should have been. Gertrude was in no position to take children in. Like, it's like when I started my full-time job, when I switched from part-time and I went to full-time, and my kids went to their babysitters for the first time in their lives. I took my children a week before I was supposed to start. I took them over there so they could get to know the lady. To make sure they were comfortable. Um, and everything like that. And I also made sure she was physically fit to raise my children. Um, and when they went, they were, um, nine months and four years old. At that time, they started to go. Um, I made sure she had all of her clearances because she was going to be watching my children. I thought I needed, I thought and knew I needed to make these steps necessary because I'm entrusting you with my children and stuff like that. And she worked like through um, in PA here in Pennsylvania. It's called Child Care Network. But, you know, you can never be too careful. People could have their clearances and, you know, you could still be a bad babysitter and abuse children. So that meant nothing. But when she had that, it made me feel like a little... When she had that, 
it made me feel like, okay, they're in good hands. So, and they like her, so that's the good part. And I always ask my oldest, how was your day? Was anybody mean? Do do you like going to your babysitters? And he's just like, well, mommy, I wish you could just stay home. And I'm like, well, honey, I have to work and I have to pay our bills or we're not going to have an apartment to live in. Like, we just can't do that, you know? And I was actually, when I first sent them, I was terrified because they never have been out of my sight. Wherever I went, they went. And it, it was rough for me for a little bit. Now, anyway, now that I'm done sharing a little tidbit about myself, we're going to talk about the abuse that went on in the house. Again, guys, trigger warning because the rest of the episode is going to be horrific. Gertrude was suffering from... uh, Sorry, Gertrude was suffering for money without the weekly $20. She had no way to feed all nine children in the home and still pay rent. Well, Gertrude, maybe you shouldn't have had so many kids. That's my opinion, but hey, I get it. I feel like people are supposed to... You can have as many children as you want as long as you can take care of them. That That's my saying on that. But she was glad that Mr. Likens paid $20 up front but when the future payments arrived late or not at all she became enraged the lichen sisters became the object of gertrude's frustration after the first late payment she dragged jenny up the stairs and whipped her with a leather belt and this is what she said well i took care of you two bitches for a week for nothing, she growled. The money ended up arriving the next day in the mail after the first spanking. Sylvia and Jenny's parents came a few days later and gave another advanced payment. The sisters then said, at that time, said nothing about the abuse or like the beating. When Gertrude learned that Sylvia was recycling pot bottles for cash, she cut loose on her with a quarter-inch wooden paddle. She hit her repeatedly across the back and head when Gertrude became weak due to chronic chronic bronchitis. She handed the paddle to Paula. The abuse increased in frequently and severity. Gertrude may have felt sorry for Jenny due to her due to her being like fragile because by august 1965 gertrude concentrated her outburst just on sylvia sylvia admitted she ended up having a boyfriend in california gertrude was disgusted and she and so was her daughter Paula, who repeatedly kicked Sylvia in her vaginal area and accused her of being pregnant. Now, only was she subjected, not only was she subjected to beatings, but Gertrude also started abusing Sylvia with food. Um, Sylvia then began 
to forage for food in dumpsters. And when Gertrude caught Sylvia, she, Paula, and a neighborhood child named Brandy Leper forced her to eat a hot dog loaded with crazy amounts of condiments and spices. When Sylvia threw up the hot dog, the trio, Gertrude, Paula, and what was it, Randy, made her eat her own vomit. And you know what that makes me think of? Um, when I was researching this case, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the book. It's called um, A Child Called It by David Pesler. And what his mom did, what his mom did to him was horrific. And I have all of David Pesler's book. And I'll never forget the first time I read A Child Called It. And it was in ninth grade. And my cousin brought it home and we went to the mountains for the weekend with our family. And she said, you gotta read this book. And I read the book and I was like, oh my god. It's crazy. And what he was put through and what Sylvia was put through. Like, I feel like they're in the same level, but... Like, the same level of, like, the beatings, the starvation, and stuff like that. And that's just terrible. The girls returned to school in the fall, which pleased their father. Gertrude then accused Sylvia of spreading rumors that Paula and Stephanie, which is her older daughter, were prostitutes. Gertrude admonished the girls in front of her own children and their friends. Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, Coy Hubbard, attacked Sylvia in response. Stephanie snickered as... Gertrude taunted Sylvia by calling her filthy names. Gertrude accused Sylvia of stealing gym clothes. As a punishment, she burned her fingertips with a lip match while screaming that she hated Sylvia and how she was ruining her life. Somehow, the subject turned to Sylvia's alleged prom- promiscuity. You should never do anything with a boy until you are married. Gertrude cautioned. Sylvia replied she hadn't, which only infuriated Gertrude more. You should never, Gertrude shrieked as she kicked Sylvia's pubic area, repeatedly kicking Sylvia. Did not, I guess it didn't like, I guess she didn't get like the rise, Gertrude didn't get the rise or whatever out of it. And then she made Sylvia strip naked and insert a glass cola bottle into her vagina while her child accomplices watched and they all laughed. (sighs) That poor girl, because that is so... What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, that is so humiliating. Like, that's... That's terrible. Sylvia's parents checked on their daughters again on October 5th. Again, they kept their secret, afraid of making it worse, which makes a lot of sense if you look at it in through like a big picture. Um, and I put an example in here. For example, when a woman's in a domestic violence relationship, 
they don't tell anyone because they are afraid of what might happen to them or worse they could have been threatened or their family members could have been threatened so you don't really know um Gertrude could have easily said you say anything to your parents I'll tell them you're making it up and they'll believe me because I'm an adult and for all they know you for all they know they just might think like they're making it up and acting out because they don't want to be there and they'd rather be with their parents and that's how I see like something along those lines that Gertrude installed fear into Sylvia and Jenny. I don't know if I we I don't even know if she said anything, but I feel like she did something and said something to make them not want to say it. Especially with you say anything, the beatings are gonna be worse. And no one's gonna believe you. As abusers as abusers do, Gertrude banded them from seeing their sister Diana, who actually lived nearby. Maybe too much. Maybe they said too much to their sister. Um, or she saw whatever she saw when she saw the girls. Maybe Diana was pie piecing it together, and Gertrude was like, uh uh. You can't see her because she's going to figure it out and then I'm going to get in trouble. But then again, we don't know. She just stopped um, letting them see her. Like I said, abusers do that. They cut everybody off they love and say, you know, nobody cares about you. Um, I remember when I was little, my dad would all... my. My dad's a terrible person. He's not even like my real dad. He's like a foster step type dad thing. Um, and I had a stepmom. May she rest in peace. Um, they'd always fight all the time. And he would never let her work. And he had a temper. He had a bad temper. And he would always... Um, I remember because he'd always tell her you can't go anywhere because you always come back because you don't have anywhere to go because she stopped talking to her family because he didn't like he didn't like them he never let her get a job he controlled what she wore he was definitely a narcissist and and the older I like the older I get like the more I realize I'm like damn which was crazy but he because he would always tell us um he'd always say don't ever depend on a man, which is kind of weird because you were making her kind of depend on you because you wouldn't let her work. Um, and they got into terrible fights. I remember one time I lived up in um, Johnstown on Beatrice Avenue. And my uncle was there and my two cousins were there and they were fighting about something and we just, like, moved in there, and she, um, she was sitting on this, like, white, hard plastic chair, and he picked a chair up with her in it and threw it across the room, and I remember my uncle telling his kids, like, yep, we're done, we're, we're leaving, 
And it's like some, that's something I would never share. But, um, yeah, he, he was a horrible person. And he, and the reason I'm saying this is because of abusers. He was definitely an abuser. And there are other things that he's done, not just to her, but to me. And I don't feel comfortable sharing them. And I don't know if I ever will. If I do, then I do. But um, it's not going to be anytime soon. But I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of abuse growing up is my big thing. And he wouldn't, um, growing up as kids, he wouldn't let us play outside. And, and, and thinking about it now as an adult, and what I know now, I know why. Because I think he was afraid that I was going to tell. And everything like that. And he couldn't have that. Or if we did go outside, they would, like, be out there. And growing up, I lived in... I lived in a couple trailer parks, and I remember they had cameras everywhere, and they'd, like, watch us, or sometimes it'd be so hot, and they say, okay, well, you can't come inside. I wasn't allowed to go inside for a drink, to go to the bathroom. I remember going out there so early and then being out there so late because they'd lock me out of the house and say, you can't come in here, and God only knows what they were doing in there, but he, they wouldn't let me in the house. And, like I said, he was definitely an abuser. He tried to definitely control everything. Um, Especially with my stepmom. Like how I said, may she rest in peace now because she passed away last September. Um, She wasn't allowed to wear shorts or tank tops. She had to wear pants. And even in, like, 90 degree weather. And it was just so terrible. And when he, when she did, he'd be like, oh, well, who are you trying to wear that for? And I remember just thinking, like, dude, it's, it's fucking 90 degrees outside, and you want her to wear pants. But he definitely was an abuser, and it was, it, I had a horrible childhood. I'm just going to put it at that. Anyway, so Gertrude's an abuser, and that's what she did. She cut Sylvia and Jenny off from their sister. Okay. Anyway. And Gertrude basically alienated them from anyone who would show that they cared. Paula once held the door open and dared Sylvia to get out and stay away. Sylvia had nowhere to go. And she was probably... Thinking, I can't leave Jenny here with all of this shit happening. I can't leave my sister because she won't be here to defend herself because she has polio. Um, And she probably thought, I need to be here so I can take the brunt of it so my sister doesn't get it. We don't know. I feel like Sylvia was that type of person. She probably felt, as long as my sister is safe, then... That's all that matters. I'll take the beatings as long as my sister is safe. Sylvia's last day of school was on October 6th, the day after her parents came to visit. 
Gertrude told the school Sylvia had no interest in going and pretended to be concerned. In reality, Gertrude banded Sylvia to the cold basement and tying her her up for days at a time. And that's what Gertrude urged, tie her up. Kids from school visited the residence and participated in Sylvia's torture as well. Gertrude, the ringleader, coached them step by step. Nothing was off limits. If the children wanted to practice their judo, Gertrude told them to practice on Sylvia. Some kids put cigarettes out on Sylvia's skin to hear her cry. Gertrude would also bathe city, sit. Sylvia, I want to say Cynthia, but that's not right. Sylvia. So if I said Cynthia at all, it's supposed to be Sylvia. Um, she bathed her in scolding hot water until her skin would blister. Paula once beat Sylvia in the face until she actually broke her wrist. Doctors put a cast on her arm while Paula bragged about exactly how she broke it. And I just want to, like, if that happened, why didn't the doctor um, say anything to authorities? Unless maybe they thought maybe she got into, like, some fight with a girl and she won and she only came out with a broken wrist. I don't know, guys. I don't know. When she got home, Paula then continued to hit Sylvia with her cast. Gertrude used a needle to carve the letter I into the flesh of Sylvia's abdomen. Unable to finish the full statement, she encouraged a 15-year-old neighbor boy named Richard Hobbs to complete the task. And this is what they put on her stomach. I am a prostitute and proud of it. He etched on her belly. Gertrude helped him spell the word prostitute. What a bunch of assholes. Seriously. That's fucked up. At Gertrude's request, Richard Hobbs heated a metal hook and attempted to brand the letter S on Sylvia's chest, but instead branded her with the number three. I'm guessing if the S was going to be on her chest, maybe it stood for slut. I don't know. Gertrude justified it by saying Sylvia branded her her child, and now she branded Sylvia. What are you going to do now? You can't get married now, Gertrude taunted. Sylvia whimpered, I guess there's nothing I can do. Coy returned returned, and then he tied Sylvia up in the basement where he slammed her frail body into the wall over and over. Gertrude had finally broken Sylvia's spirit, which is what she was going for most likely. Break her spirit, then she won't fight back. Jenny... She cons- Jenny, she consoled her baby sister. I know you don't want me to die. 
but I am going to die. I can tell, is what Sylvia told Jenny in that basement. Her voice was weak and trembling. The beatings made Sylvia basically not able to fight back, weak. Sylvia also started to lose control of her limbs too. Gertrude then realized at some point during this, she knew Sylvia was taking a turn for the worst, so she permitted Sylvia to sleep on the mattress up in the upstairs bedroom. After giving her a lukewarm bath, she commended her back to the basement and forced her to write a letter. It goes as followed. To Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said that they would pay me. I would give them something, so I got in the car, and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished, they beat me up, left sores on my face, and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach, I am a prostitute, and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do just to make Gertie mad and cause Gertie more money than she's got. I've torn up new mattresses and peed on it. I have also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really couldn't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck in all of her kids. That night, Sylvia heard um, Gertrude and her children making plans to dump her in the woods. In a last-ditch effort, Sylvia had tried to run, but Gertrude caught Sylvia, dragged her inside, and attempted to feed her toast. Sylvia didn't have the strength to eat, so Gertrude struck her in the face with a curtain rod. Gosh. Her son John returned to the basement, returned her to the basement, and then John tied Sylvia's wrist up into the, um, into the, not into, onto the basement railing. Her toes barely touched the ground. Gertrude shoved crackers into Sylvia's parched mouth. Sylvia told her, she wasn't hungry, and so she suggested that she feed them to the dog. Gertrude then punched Sylvia in the belly. John forced her to eat the contents of baby Denny's diaper as well as her own feces. October 25th, Gertrude, Cody, and John beat Sylvia until she lost consciousness. When Gertrude stomped on her head. When she came back to, she gathered up enough strength to bang on the basement floor and walls, hoping someone would help her. But unfortunately, nobody came to Sylvia's rescue. On the morning of October 26th in 1965, Gertrude and Stephanie bathed Sylvia. During her bath, Sylvia stopped breathing. 
The bee family were terrified, not because they cared, but because they were going to be caught. So they didn't care they killed her. They were afraid of going to jail and being convicted. Stephanie tried unsuccessfully to revive her with CPR. Gertrude placed Sylvia's broken body back on the mattress and instructed Richard to call the police. Gertrude handed the police Sylvia's letter. She told them Sylvia ran away recently and returned injured, clutching the note. Gertrude um, was just an emotional wreck with grief and claimed that she was doctoring Sylvia. Like she was like probably crying, going, she snuck out with boys and she came back like this and I was just trying to help her get better and I thought it was working and it and it just didn't happen. She just passed away. It's probably what she told the police. The officers rounded the hall corner to find Sylvia's in macetated form lying lifelessly on the soiled mattress. Deputy Coroner Arthur Kebel noted that Sylvia's lips were practically chewed through. All ten of her fingernails were bent backwards and broken. She had hundreds of wounds on her skin, all of them in different stages of healing, suggesting ongoing trauma. Dr. Charles Ellis performed the autopsy, and the cause of death was torture. The police asked Jenny what happened, and she parroted what Gertrude said, but added, You get me out of here. And I will tell you everything. So, what happened to Gertrude and all the people that were responsible for Sylvia's death? Well, I'm about to tell you. Gertrude was convicted of first-degree murder. Paula was convicted of second-degree murder. They each received a life sentence, but after a second trial... Paula pled down to manslaughter, and she was released two years later. Gertrude was paroled in 1985. She claimed she had no memory of her actions. She died four years later of lung cancer. And then this is what it said on the thingy. If there is a devil in hell, he is currently roasting the old bat over hot coals. I hope that is freaking true. God, please let it be true. Paula moved to Iowa, where she secured a new identity, and she got a job at an elementary school. Let that sink in, guys. And this is my own thing. Like, just fucking how. Paula, how? How are you going to do that to Sylvia? And then, you're going to turn around and work at, a, work at an elementary school with fucking children after you were involved in the torture of Sylvia Likens. How do you just fucking forget that? Stephanie then married and she had several children of her own and she became a school teacher. Like, 
what the fuck is going on? How does that work? I, I, I don't know. That makes no sense to me. How can she just even have kids after all of that? It's beyond me, guys. Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and Gertrude's son John were convicted of manslaughter. All received two to twenty-one year sentences, prison term sentence, two to one, two to twenty-one years of a prison term sentence. But they each only served two years. What a slap in the face to Sylvia's death. This girl was brutally tortured and murdered, starved, everything. And you're going to... These people got slapped on the wrist, every single one of them. That's fucking ridiculous. But Richard did die of cancer at the age of 21. And I said, karma's a bitch, Richard. I hope you're burning on hot coals just like your mother is. Because I genuinely believe and feel that in my heart that that's what I want for you because that's fucking ridiculous. Baby Denny was adopted into a new family as well as the daughter Paula was pregnant with during the crime. So what happened to Jenny, you might be wondering. Well, she's married and had children of her own. She lived long enough to read Gertrude's obituary, which she mailed to her mother with a letter that read, Some good news. Damn old Gertrude died. Ha ha ha. I am so happy. I am happy about that. The death of Sylvia Likens continues to haunt. Sorry. Continues to haunt Indianapolis as the worst crime ever committed in the state. Prosecutor Leroy knew said it best. This case has never had its equal. It is the most vicious thing, the most hideous thing Indiana has ever seen. And you know what? He couldn't have said it any better. The house sat empty for decades before it was leveled. It is now a church parking lot, a memorial dedicated to Sylvia's memory stands in Willowed Park where Sylvia used to play. And guys, that is it about the horrible, horrible death of Sylvia Likens. Now when you guys get this, it'll be Wednesday. But I've been on top of it and I did all this research in a couple days and it is actually Monday night and I'm pre-recording because I've just been on my shit <laughs> even though I had a hard weekend well guys that is it um you can follow me on Instagram at just a girl in true crime you can also send me a gmail at just a girl in true crime at gmail.com you can also follow my Facebook page that is called just a girl in true crime um I have a Sorry. I have a case of who I'm going to do next. It is about a boy who was wrongly executed and then later he was found to be innocent. 
So that's all I'm going to share with you about that case. And that case should be up Friday or Saturday. As always, please, please, please tell your friends and family about our podcast. We, gr- I'm, we as a whole, are growing each day. Thank you to all my new listeners, old listeners. Thank you guys so much for your love and support. And going on and enjoying this crazy ride of our podcast that we call life because of the pandemic COVID-19. Hopefully it's over soon. But I will talk to you guys later. See ya.